0: Mike. Lauren. Mike, are you on TikTok?
1: I am not. I'm far too old for TikTok.
0: I mean, is there an official age cutoff for TikTok? Not really. You could be on TikTok.
1: Yeah, but like unofficially, I think once you're a man in your 40s, you just should not be on TikTok.
0: All right, fair enough. I browse it sometimes. But TikTok is a big deal, and it's getting even more attention these days because it's become a question of national security we're going to talk about that right now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good, a senior writer at Wired. Wired senior editor Michael Calori is here, too. And by here, I mean there. He's over there.
1: Hello from over here.
0: Hello, Mike. And we are also joined by Wired staff writer Louise Matsakis from New York. Hi, Louise. Hey. Thanks so much for being here. So today we're talking about TikTok. Last week, this app, which is for short, clever videos that the kids and influencers are all about, this app is now at the center of this ongoing power struggle between the US and China. Critics say that TikTok's massive presence here is a national security risk because the app is owned by ByteDance, a Chinese tech company. And it's not just the government that's worried about TikTok. Amazon and Wells Fargo recently made a lot of headlines when these companies sent out statements to their employees asking them to delete the app. I mean, the Amazon story is a little weird. The company later backtracked and said that the emails were sent accidentally. I don't, you know, I don't know what that means. I mean, sure, your cat stepped on the keyboard and hit the send button. But anyway, people are still worried about the app and privacy and security, and White House officials have said that the U.S. is considering outlawing the app entirely. So later in the show, we're going to talk about the culture of TikTok, like what it means to be on the app and why so many people would be upset at the thought of the app being banned. But first, I do want to talk about the national security concerns. Louise, how valid are these worries? So I think it's really hard to
2: look at these worries in a vacuum because there's basically no, you know, hard evidence. Um, A couple of security researchers have found flaws with TikTok, but they're pretty much in line with the same kinds of flaws that are exposed with Facebook, with, you know, Twitter, with all sorts of apps all the time. Uh, I think that you have to kind of look at the ambient factors here. Um, For example, you know, as you mentioned, there are uh, the friendship between the U.S. and China is not in a good place. Things are really deteriorating. You know, the other day, uh, literally, there were documents um, on fire at the Houston Consulate of, of China. Uh, you know, these countries really don't like each other right now. And I think that TikTok has kind of become a pawn in the middle. And that's really what's happening. However, you know, I don't think that you can um, discount the fact that TikTok is you know, definitely owned by a Chinese company and there's no doubt that if the CCP wanted to put pressure on TikTok to you know, release user data or to you know, give up information to them that they found valuable, ByteDance would probably have no choice but to say yes.
1: Um, can you tell us what we know about ByteDance like as a company and its history?
2: Yeah, so ByteDance came to prominence in 2012, um, and they had these two apps that were really popular. I would kind of consider them almost like a text version of TikTok in a sense. Um, One of them is kind of like Apple News, but extremely vulgar. Um, So, you know, the context in China here is that uh, Xi Jinping has come to power. Um, he's you know, uh, the biggest authoritarian since Mao. Um, and he's cracking down on free speech in the country even more so. So the newspapers are getting really boring. Uh, so ByteDance comes in and they make this app that's, uh, you know, pulls in from all these different news outlets, from all these independent bloggers, and it just gives you the juicy stuff. So that's kind of what they were known for. Uh so flash forward a couple of years they actually got in trouble with the CCP and the CEO of ByteDance had to make this crazy apology. Um but yeah, you know, he was kind of known. The CEO of ByteDance was kind of known in China as sort of like a playboy Silicon Valley type who was really into titillating content. Um and then he made TikTok which is um you know kind of kind of like their other apps except instead of text-based news, it was about algorithmically, you know, driven videos. You know, they're gonna show you the things you like, the same way they showed people in China the text, the stories that they liked. Um, and then they started expanding globally. Uh, so ByteDance is kind of known for being this company that shows you what you more of what you like and it's often kind of vulgar, titillating stuff. Um, And now they're doing that with video. Uh, So they bought a company called Musical.ly. If you're too old for TikTok, you're way too old for um, (laughs) Musical.ly, which was this lip syncing app for teens that ByteDance purchased a couple of years ago, and then they rebranded it into TikTok. So, you know, ByteDance is not the CCP's best friend, but when you operate in China, you kind of have to be the CCP's best
0: friend. And Louise, do they operate entirely in China? Because some of the reports I've seen suggest that TikTok has its servers elsewhere. And so in some ways that may make it more neutral in this whole fight. Is that true? Yeah.
2: So TikTok has said, you know, we keep data on U.S. users outside of China. You know, we have a new CEO who's a former streaming executive from Disney. Uh, you know, we have thousands of employees now in the U.S. We're not subject to Chinese law. Uh, if China asked us to hand over data, we would say no. So they've kind of done these like symbolic, um, you know, uh, decoupling, I guess, which is the big term in China US relations. But ByteDance has kind of tried to like distance itself from Beijing, um, you know, in a number of different ways. But the reality is that the ownership structure is still there. ByteDance still o- owns TikTok in full.
1: And uh, in the past, we've seen TikTok cave to pressure from Beijing over content on the platform, right?
2: We haven't seen them uh, cave to pressure, you know, on their international apps, but they have caved to pressure inside China, which, you know, they're basically, you know, required to by law. Um, But outside of the country, TikTok has said, you know, we would never listen to Beijing. We have, you know, these community guidelines that are, you know, designed by people in the US, our moderators are in the West, um, and that these are two different apps. However, you know, there's another version of TikTok in China that operates domestically, but basically, I think that what's so interesting about ByteDance is they're trying to do something that no other global tech company has done before, which is that they want to dominate both within China and outside of China. You know, Facebook wanted to do that. Google wanted to do that. And basically the CCP said no.
1: So all of this concern about TikTok possibly being a tool for data harvesting and espionage, Makes me think of uh, the worry that people used to have about hardware coming out of China having backdoors or possibilities of of uh, leaking data back to China. Like our iPhones are made entirely in China. You know, all of our networking hardware and our computers are made in China. Why is it that we're so worried about software and, in particular, this piece of software when we're not as worried about the hardware?
2: Well, first of all, I think that a lot of security people would say to you, it's kind of ridiculous that we're not trying to lock down the supply chain and instead we're worrying about the social media app. But hey, that's the Trump administration. Uh, But I think (laughs) that there are two worries with the software, right? Like the first worry people have is about Beijing sucking up data, I think that that is kind of, you know, a less immediate concern, because, you know, the Chinese government is hacking all sorts of entities all the time, I'm not really sure that they need to jeopardize the future of one of their most valuable companies in order to get more data when they already have, you know, they you know, the U.S. officials accused them of hacking the U.S. personnel office, for example, a couple of years ago and getting all this very juicy information on a lot of people who work for the American government. You know, that versus dancing teens, not really so sure. But the second concern with the software is about uh, misinformation and is, you know, is Beijing going to suppress certain types of content over others? And TikTok has kind of emerged as this political platform the same way that every other social media platform is. You know, If they wanted one candidate to win over another, would they push you know pro-Biden videos instead of pro-Trump videos or something like that? I think that that's kind of a more soft, squishy concern that people seem to have. And it's one that can't really be discounted. And I think it's something that people are particularly paranoid about, especially after what the Russians did in 2016. However, they didn't have to own the platforms to do that.
0: So Louise, ever since the early days of app stores, right? There have been incidents involving really aggressive growth hacking. We've seen it with a lot of social media sites. You might remember the blow up over path, just like downloading everybody's contacts back in the day. And we've written a fair amount at Wired about very insidious permission requests from apps. Um, although to give both Apple's App Store and Google's Play Store credit, they've started to crack down on those app permissions in recent releases of the operating system. But but knowing like what we know about the way some apps have operated in the past, I'm wondering if TikTok's data collection or the permission requests. Are that much more sinister than other apps? Like, how would you rate the way that TikTok is sucking up our data?
2: I think that's a really great question. So, on one hand, you know, two mobile security experts that I talked to for a story recently about this said, look, TikTok is kind of in the same league with everybody else, but it's kind of a league you don't really want to be in. You know, they're an advertising based business, they're going to collect a lot of data about you to serve you ads, you know, including things like your location, the other apps on your phone, um, particularly if you're on Android. Um, And some of these other kind of little things have popped up, for example, like TikTok was caught um, collecting people's data on their clipboard, and that made a lot of people nervous. Um, You know, and that was a feature that came up because iOS 14 will notify you if an app is copying your clipboard
0: data. And that that just means, sorry to interrupt, and that just means when someone presses on some content on their iPhone to copy and paste it somewhere else, that it temporarily goes on what's known as the clipboard. But in this case... TikTok was actually recording that.
2: Yeah. So, however, the data was kept on the device. So it's not like they had this, you know, great spreadsheet somewhere that was like, you know, user one's clipboard, user two's clipboard. What they were doing is that they were looking at your clipboard and seeing if you were trying to spam, basically. Were you copying and pasting the same comment on every video that you were looking at, basically? Um, So, But, you know, I think that it speaks to these concerns that people have about TikTok and about, you know, apps in general. I think that the other thing is not only are people more skeptical about China than ever, but they're more skeptical about companies collecting their data, you know, I think regardless of what country they happen to be from. So that's so much of, I think, is what's going on here rather than it being something super specific about TikTok.
1: So Louise, if TikTok ends up being banned by the U.S. government and we're not allowed to have TikTok in this country anymore, uh, what happens? Does it just disappear from people's phones?
2: So I think that what it would probably look like is that there would be some sort of executive order or some law in Congress that would then basically compel Apple and Google to do what they do in lots of other parts of the world, right, is that they just remove these apps from the app store. So you might actually still be able to have it on your phone, but... I think that if TikTok detected that your IP address was in the U.S. or something, it would block it. Um, You know, that's what would happen kind of from a technical perspective, from like a cultural and uh, political perspective. I think that it would be kind of a disaster because you'd have millions of young voters would have this platform for free expression cut off months before a consequential election. Um, I think it would also really make the U.S. look like a hypocrite because we've really criticized China for years for this policy that we've called um, Internet sovereignty, which is like, you know, we're only going to let the big giants from our own country thrive. And we've said that that's really not fair. You know, that, that's not um, you know, how you have a free global market. That's not free trade. Um, so if we did that ourselves, I think it would kind of be a bad look. Um, that doesn't mean that, you know, we're not going to. Um, I think especially if things continue down this road with China, every single day I wake up and check the news and I can't believe that it's gotten worse. So <laughs> wouldn't surprise me at this point. But uh, every day there's a new surprise with our relations with China.
0: Louise, thank you for explaining that. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to have you back on to talk about the people who have made TikTok such a popular place to be and what it would mean for them if the app was banned. All right, welcome back everyone. We've talked a lot about the conversations surrounding TikTok, but now we're gonna look at the conversations happening Inside the app itself, millions of people use TikTok as a vehicle for creativity, but increasingly they're using it for activism or to even express political beliefs. And beyond that, TikTok is filled with nearly endless subgenres where whole communities form around really niche interests or lifestyles. And so when people started talking about banning TikTok, some of those TikTok users made it pretty clear they weren't happy about this. Louise, you've been reporting on TikTok for a long time now. How have you seen its culture evolve?
2: I think we're at the point now where TikTok is so big that anything that you would see on Reddit or see on Facebook or see on Twitter, there's probably some version of it on TikTok, TikTok is incredibly good at kind of like corralling people together based around their identity, uh, which is actually pretty impressive because the whole thing revolves around this algorithm uh, called the For You page, which just shows you videos one after another. It's like a slot machine of content, basically. Uh, And it's amazing and and it's fascinating how well it kind of figures out what you're interested in and then throws you into that community and keeps you there for as long as you want to be there. Um, yeah, my For You page is a mess, um, but I wouldn't want it any other way.
1: <laughs> so if you identify as a Black person or as a trans person or as a queer person and you're on TikTok, you're probably watching a lot of content from creators who also identify uh, as a member of those groups. And then it shows you more content from those groups.
2: Yeah, I think that you're you're probably not identifying in some sort of overt way. But, you know, if you really like... Um, if you watch you know a lot of trans creators' videos from start to finish, if you like them a lot, if you comment on them, if you look at their profiles and look at more of their videos, the app will say, okay, she liked this, I'm gonna show her more stuff like this. It's not as explicit as these other platforms where like Facebook, you might go and like, you know, follow a black creators page or you might go and, you know, add someone as a friend who's trans like you and you get part of that community or you join a group for other trans people on TikTok. It's kind of like the algorithm senses this. So sometimes, you know, you might show the algorithm that you like something, but it's actually that you're outraged by it and then you get more content like that. Right. It's just, uh, you know, it's optimizing for your attention. But I think that they do a really good job of realizing that she's paying attention to this because she's part of this community or she at least likes lurking here.
0: Louise, you also wrote a great story for Wired about how prison populations are using TikTok. So what does it mean if lifelines like that go away?
2: Yeah, I think that that story was really interesting. I think it's a good example of a community that thrives on a platform like TikTok because it's something that people stumble upon. Like most people don't know that prisoners have access to contraband cell phones. So why would that be something that you would look for, right? It's something that people stumbled upon. Um, And I think that that's what's interesting. But yeah, if the app was banned, you know, I think that there's a lot of creators at this point who came up through TikTok. You know, at first there were some people who, you know, maybe came from YouTube or came from Instagram. Um, But at this point, there are, you know, thousands, if not millions of creators who are native to that platform. And I don't really think you can just bring your audience elsewhere because the dynamics on TikTok, like any platform, are pretty unique.
1: Yeah, you know, um, I actually do lurk on TikTok a little bit uh, through the web. Uh, Truth
2: comes out, (laughs) truth comes out. I
1: don't, I don't have, I haven't installed the app. I don't have an account, but um, I do like...
2: Are you clicking on them on Twitter? Is that what it is? Or like on Instagram? Yeah,
1: so somebody will post a TikTok video to Twitter and then I'll click through and I'll watch it and then I'll see what else it's showing me. And something that I've noticed, especially like in the last couple of weeks, is that when I watch the most popular videos, the ones that have like tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of, you know, different engagement metrics is that um, the creators will often like start or end the video by saying like, yo, this might be shutting down. So go subscribe to my YouTube, you know, and I'm just wondering, like, is that actually going to happen? Are these creators who also have a presence on YouTube? Have they set up a presence on YouTube? Or is it the other way around? Like there's these are YouTubers who are using TikTok because it's the hotter platform.
2: I think it's the former, so I think it's that they are, you know, proactively trying to make sure that some of their audience has another way of reaching them. But I think it's kind of like for a lot of these creators that TikTok is sort of the main outlet that they have. But like, if you're a super fan, you'll also follow them on Instagram, or like if you liked the two minute vlog they put on TikTok, like you can go watch the monetized ten minute video on YouTube. But those I think are kind of for super fans. A lot of times when I click on a TikTok creator's Instagram profile it will say like, hey, like I have 500,000 followers on TikTok or like, hey, if you found me from TikTok, like follow me here. So I definitely think it's not really that they grew their platform elsewhere. A lot of them are too young. And I think that people forget that like Instagram is really like driven by your existing social network. YouTube is, the videos are the wrong way. You know, it's very desktop driven. So if you are used to making stuff on your phone, it doesn't really make sense. It's not super obvious how to kind of translate that to other platforms necessarily. Of course, plenty of them do. But I think that TikTok sort of is something different. No one wants to watch a 10 second dancing video on YouTube, really.
0: One of the things that seems unique about TikTok, too, is just the way people are actually encouraged to copy each other I don't know if copying is the right word exactly but they're encouraged to like participate in the challenge yeah take a a meme or a challenge and do some version of it or interpretation of it and so now I've watched like a dozen videos of people you know holding up their cat to their ears and going hello gubna the queen is coming right which (laughs) All right, you're not going to experience it the same way without seeing the TikTok, but like, but people do really creative different interpretations, and that's one of the things that I really like. Whereas I think if you see 12 of the same videos on YouTube, you're like, okay, who, who's stealing whose idea here? Um, I think that what people forget is like kind of
2: early on, people would describe TikTok this way, but everyone kind of forgot it is that it's like YouTube but with Spotify in it. Right, so they were really smart to like have these relationships with the record labels. There's also been some problems with like pirated content, but they made these relationships with music, musical artists, and with record labels so that you could have those sound clips. Right, like that was a huge part of it that you don't have on YouTube. YouTube will just like silence your video if you try and take some music. Right, like it's a very different environment where that's not really part of it. Um, yeah, the sound clips are huge. I don't know about you, but I like definitely have brain worms from them, and I just they're in my head
0: and it's horrible. <laughs> So speaking of other platforms, if TikTok is banned, does this end up meaning more power for Facebook via Instagram, considering how much Facebook already rules our social existences?
2: Well, they're also going to release this new app that's a TikTok knockoff called Reels. Um, So we will see if that has any traction. I think that it's more likely to have traction if... um, TikTok is banned and there was also some activity from the founders of Vine that they got kind of a boost in uh, new users recently because people came to their new app Bite uh, because they thought that TikTok was going to be banned so people are getting a little bit more into Byte so yeah I do think that there's a chance that this ends up being kind of a boon for TikTok's competitors and you know Mark Zuckerberg loves to talk about how scary China is so I think that these companies are aware of how they can use the situation to their advantage.
1: I think it would be really interesting to see uh, if the communities make the jump, you know, because like they're so embedded and all of your follows and all of your follower data and all of your like data can't really translate from one platform to another. So it's almost like people will just have to sort of rebuild their communities elsewhere
2: right and like the for you algorithm like knows a lot about you and serves you content that it thinks you'll like but you're dependent on it right it's not like a list of your friends that you can just take elsewhere and look them up elsewhere like you know the algorithm being catered to your taste is something kind of very different
0: so mike have we convinced you to get on tiktok
2: actually
1: you know the thing that um made me want to go check it out was um it's absolutely my favorite tiktok community story and it's um when Witch Talk, which is all of these young witches on TikTok, put a hex on the moon in order to take power away from Artemis, uh, which is the the moon goddess that um, a lot of the older witches rely on for their power. So it was like this power grab by the young witches of TikTok. Uh, It happened uh, in the lead up to the new moon this week. Um, I read that story and I was like, I would love to see these videos. But of course, you know, I go on the web and I search for it and it doesn't really show me much because I don't have all of my data in the app and I don't have an account and I can't see the For You page. Um, so it's like I hear about these stories and I want to get involved, but like just actually putting my hands in it and getting into it is just a step that um, oh, I feel like I have so much noise in my life that it just feels like a, a whole. A whole heavy weight that i would have to take on it's
2: so loud it is such a loud app i used to joke that it's the airpods app like we couldn't have this app without airpods because you will drive everyone crazy if you listen to it without headphones in my poor boyfriend i feel so bad because
0: <laughs> <laughs> so mike i'm surprised that someone like sarah cooper hasn't lured you into the app yet i mean how are you seeing sarah cooper's tremendous reenactments of trump press briefings
1: because she's very smart and she posts them to twitter For the olds. All right.
0: (laughs) So Jack Dorsey gets to benefit from that, basically. Totally. All right. This has been another really interesting segment. Louise, stick around. When we come back, we're going to do recommendations. All right, Louise, why don't you go first?
2: Um, So I'm going to be a nerd, and I'm going to recommend a book. Um, It's called Riding the Iron Rooster. (laughs) And it's about uh, traveling through China on a train uh, for a year. And it takes place in I think the late 80s. So it's really surreal. Um, I thought that reading a travel book would be depressing. um, But it's actually pretty funny. um, And it's kind of been a nice relief to like, uh, follow the, the travels of someone who can just like get on things and not wear a mask and talk to strangers and and whatnot. So that's my recommendation.
1: Who who wrote it?
2: Uh, it's by Paul
0: Theroux. Oh, you know, I downloaded that once and I never got around to reading it, but it's on my Kindle. So I should probably take a stab at it again.
2: Yeah, it's definitely like, Like white guy wrote this like a little too long ago. There's some of that, but I think like, you know, he's a great travel writer and it's really fun for this moment where, um, things are so hard with, you know, our country's relationship with China and also, um, we can't go anywhere. (laughs) So it's nice to like, you know, hang out with someone who can.
1: Uh, so he is a very prolific travel author, and I, if you like yeah. that book, I would recommend The Old Patagonia Express, where he rides a train through South America, Mexico and South America.
0: That's the really famous one, right? Yeah. yeah that's like one of his big ones. Okay, great. I would love to do that.
2: Yeah,
1: totally good.
0: Mike, what's your recommendation aside from that book?
1: <laughs> um, I want to recommend a podcast that I've really been enjoying lately. I've been listening to it on and off for a couple of years, but it's gotten really good in coronavirus time. It's called The War on Cars. It's oh, awesome. Yeah, it's it's a uh, like about transit basically. Um, And you might think that it's just like a bunch of you know cycling advocates, uh, which it is, but it also explores really um, deep concepts about like urban design, about the way people move through cities, about uh, suburbs, about self driving cars. Uh, It's really about the changing landscape of transit and pedestrian culture and bike culture and car culture in the US Uh, and of course you know they go to Europe and they go to Asia and they talk to people in those places but really it's about like a city level a street level view of how a city is handling all the changes happening in that space Um, it's really wonderful Uh, I you know I can't listen to every episode. Uh, but the ones lately have been really good. Uh, there's been one about a bunch of guys who ride bikes around L.A. There's been one about the Slow Streets program here in the Bay Area, which is the thing that drew me back to it. Uh, and the most recent one is um, an interview with a, an author who wrote a book about uh, how how our society has been shaped by the culture of the automobile. It's uh, really, really great.
0: That sounds really fascinating and uh, actually really timely considering we're now seeing like transit fundamentally changed and here in the Bay Area lose funding. And um, it really does make me wonder about the future of transit.
1: Yeah. Public transit's going away in almost every major city uh, in our country, uh, at least temporarily. And maybe in some cases permanently, Uh, it's going to look very different when we're on the other side of this. So it's, it's important to start thinking about these things now if you haven't already. (laughs) Um, Lauren, what's your recommendation?
0: My recommendation is coming from inside the house. Our colleague Alan Henry wrote a story on Wired.com this week on how to be productive. However, do not let the headline fool you because in many ways it's really a it's kind of the antithetical to being productive. It's not about like how to write your novel while we're undergoing one of the greatest crises of our lives. And it's not about like becoming a sourdough master. It's it's about giving yourself a pat on the back and reminding yourself that you're doing the best you can right now and It's about taking breaks so that when you are done taking a break, you can be a little bit more uh, functional and present. And it's about um, maybe saying no to as many work Zooms and instead substituting them with some chats with family and friends so that you can feel like a real human being again. Um, Alan also cites Karen Ho in his story, uh, who's a journalist at Quartz. And I hadn't realized until Angela came on our podcast a few weeks ago, Mike, that uh, Karen Ho is the person who coined the phrase doom scrolling that we've all been using to describe like just that endless scroll of bad news. You can't stop reading at night. And so she contributes to this piece, too, and, and talks a little bit about how important it is to take a step back and really think about what, quote unquote, staying informed means. And that might not mean just looking at the news 24-7, but actually um, are there are there trusted news sources, like a couple of trusted news sources you can go to for your information? Acquire that information and then move on from it rather than constantly scrolling. Um, And I thought that was really good advice. And also, if you're looking for a trusted news source, why not consider Wired as your trusted news source (laughs) while I'm at it? Smash that
1: subscribe button.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Wired.com forward slash subscribe. But uh, yeah, so that's on Wired.com. The story is written by Alan Henry. Go check it out if you get a chance. All right. That's our show. Thanks, Louise, for joining us on Gadget Lab. It's been great having you on. It's been so much fun. And thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. Send us your feedback. We'd love to hear it. This show is produced by Boone Ashworth. Our executive producer is Alex Kappelman. Uh, Also, please follow Mike on TikTok. Mike, what's your TikTok handle?
1: (laughs) At at snackfight. (laughs)
0: or at snack fight and just as a reminder we also have another podcast now called get wired you can hear the first episode of get wired with myself and boone ashworth in this feed in the gadget lab feed however it also has its own feed so don't forget to subscribe to get wired thanks so much and we'll be back next week
1: hi everyone michael from gadget lab here